Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this morning is today's gospel from Mark chapter 7. I'll remind you of these words of our Savior. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. This is the word of our God, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. I think most of you by now are aware that my wife and I have recently become empty nesters. Marcus is in his first year at Martin Luther College where he has begun his studies to become a pastor. George and Josie are enrolled at Luther Preparatory School down in Watertown. It's the dorm life for them and the empty nest for us. So far, my wife and I would use one word to describe this experience. Weird. It's just weird not having the kids around. Uh, we miss them. We miss each of their unique personalities. It's, it's been hard to get used to the, the quiet and kind of the change of pace and schedule that we have. It's been really strange to look into the cupboard and the refrigerator and actually find food there. Uh, two of them are home this weekend, though, so that's been a little bit back to normal this weekend. It's just overall been a weird experience. I would say that one aspect of the experience, though, that we are really enjoying is this. The house is clean, and for the most part, it's staying clean. No clothes all over the floor, no dirty dishes or random piles of clutter on every single horizontal surface. We, we no longer need a Sherpa to climb to the top of the mountain of laundry that we have down in our basement. It's just amazing, and, and you'll think I'm lying about this, but, but honestly, we've gone as much as an entire day without running our dishwasher. Again, a weird experience, but at least that aspect of it has been a good one. It's been good to be clean. There's another sense in which it's good to be clean. And I'm not talking about a preference for a tidy house or a clean car or something like that. I'm talking about something much, much more important. I'm talking about a matter of life and death, of eternal life and death. You see, a holy God demands that we be clean. In fact, pure, spotless, without stain, holy, absolutely sinless. And my friends, that is something that we simply cannot accomplish. We cannot give it to him. And there's only one solution to this stain problem, this filth problem that we have. And that is the cleansing blood of the Lamb of God. My friends, God's word makes clear for us that we are clean in Christ. Our text before us today shows us that we have a problem. We have this filth of sin that clings to us and there's nothing that we can do about it. But again, rejoice because the blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. The Pharisees were obsessed with cleanliness. Now, it wasn't so much about hygiene or something like that that we would think of today. They were obsessed with ceremonial cleanliness. You see, God had given his people a set of laws known as the ceremonial laws, and these laws were to govern every aspect of the worship life of his people. But you have to understand that by these laws, God was teaching his people some lessons. He was teaching them that they were sinful. He was teaching them that there was nothing they could do to get rid of this sin sin and unworthiness before him, that he would take care of that and he would do so through his promised Messiah. 
Well, God's law wasn't enough for these Pharisees and teachers of the law. We heard in the first lesson, don't add to, don't subtract from. Well, they added. In fact, they added 613 new laws that regulated their lives right down to the smallest details. One of those laws that we heard about in our text had to do with washing your hands before you ate. Now understand, in all of this, their concern was not really being ceremonially clean before God. They weren't interested in those lessons he taught them that was about confessing their sin and looking to him for cleansing. No, for them, it was all about the outward show. Jesus called them out on this on a number of occasions. And usually when he did so, he wasn't terribly gentle. He was quite blunt because their very stoles were at stake. He said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. We are reminded of familiar words also from 1 Samuel. People look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. We need to understand that our God is not fooled by an outward show of piety. He hates it when people just honor him with their lips, but their hearts are far, far away from him. He isn't interested in just a, a mechanical, robotic, outward obedience. He wants obedience that comes from the heart. He wants what's inside. He wants our hearts. So what about those hearts, my friends? Are they fit to give to him? Pure as the driven snow, right? Listen to Jesus. Again, he's blunt. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Maybe somebody has given you this advice. Just follow your heart. Just follow your heart and then everything is going to be just fine. Well, my friends, that's bad advice. Because our hearts are impure and imperfect by nature, totally depraved. And we see those symptoms of our hearts coming out in our own lives. You know, when Jesus was talking about hearts that produce all this filth, he wasn't talking about somebody else. He was talking about you. And he was talking about me. Our hearts, too, produce atrocious attitudes and terrible talk and disgusting deeds. And this filthy sin infection in our hearts, my friends, can lead to only one result, eternal death. We have a problem, a problem that is much more serious than a cluttered home or a dirty car or something like that. Because of our sins, we deserve an eternity in hell. What can we do about it? Well, Pontius Pilate thought he had the solution. He stepped before a crowd of people and he washed his hands with great pomp and ceremony. And he said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. It didn't work. His guilt remained. 
The Pharisees and teachers of the law relied on human traditions. They added again to God's laws. And I want to explain to you why they did that. If you have God's laws here kind of in the middle, they took and they built a fence of their own little laws around God's law. And their laws were even stricter than God's laws. And the idea was, if we keep these really strict laws, then it'll keep us from breaking God's laws, which aren't as strict, and then we will be perfect and good in his sight, and he will accept us. So went their diabolical logic. My friends, we are guilty of that same kind of logic because it just makes sense. It just makes sense to our sin-stained reason that we've got to do something. We have to do something to be right with our God. If we want him to accept us, if we want him to bless us, then we have to obey his laws. We have to get all those things done. We have to be good little boys and girls. We have to keep our noses clean and follow the rules, and then God will accept us. This is so ingrained into our sinful nature that God in his word has to counter it again and again. In fact, in Proverbs, we hear these words, There is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it leads to death. So why don't good works work? Because, my friends, we cannot do them as our God demands. Because we cannot God offer God the sinless perfection that he desires. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote, No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. It's impossible. Think of it this way. You can't cut down a forest with a pocket knife. And you can't dig the Panama Canal with a soup spoon. You can't empty the Pacific Ocean with a Dixie cup. My friends, it's just as impossible to save yourself by your works. It simply will not happen. So now what? What about now? What, what are we going to do? Is there no hope for us? Can we ever hope to be clean in God's sight? How can we ever hope, for example, to go to heaven about which Scripture says nothing impure will ever enter it when we are so impure? How can we ever hope to be clean? My friends, we certainly can't make ourselves clean enough before God. But you know what? Jesus can. And Jesus did. In fact, Jesus moved heaven and earth to accomplish this. Jesus, true God, came all the way down from his holy throne in heaven, gave up his divine power and glory for a time to walk in our flesh, in our place, and to do everything necessary to scrub us clean of every sinful stain. Remember that perfect life I said that God demands a sin-free existence, thoughts, words, and actions? Jesus lived it. Every moment of every day in perfect obedience, the Bible calls him a lamb without blemish or defect. And here's the amazing thing. Because he did this in our place, our God looks at us as lambs without blemish or defect, holy and pure and perfect in his eyes. The Bible makes it very clear that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. God demands that sin be punished. Sin costs a life. And so again, God's holy son 
walked that long road to the cross. And when he got there, he willingly stretched out his arms and he received those nails. And he poured out his perfect and priceless blood that runs down on us and cleanses us and the entire world of every sinful stain. And my friends, we can be certain that Jesus' blood worked, that his perfect life counts for us because the Father gave his stamp of approval. He proclaimed it loudly and clearly when on the third day he raised his own son from the dead. Jesus came out of that tomb with every victory for us. And because he did, we are perfect in God's eyes, free from every stain, just as clean as a whistle. In his first epistle, St. John wrote, that, wrote, wrote words that are very important to me in my life. I'm a sinner like you. And so I, I think about these words just about every day. They're so very simple and yet so profoundly beautiful. He said, The blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. I swiped a can of uh, Lysol from the bathrooms over by the office this morning. Um, you've seen this kind of thing before. At the top it says, Killed, kills cold and flu viruses. And then in a little red spot down here it says, kills 99.9% .9 of viruses and bacteria. Kind of reassuring, right? To know it kills all that bacteria. And yet there is still that tenth of a percent that it leaves behind, a tenth of a percent that could still make you sick or even kill you. I want you to notice how complete cleansing in Christ is. John did not say some sin or most sin, but all sin. The blood of God's Son leaves absolutely no stain, no filth, no infection behind. One of my college professors once prayed this prayer. I can't remember the setting, but I remember the prayer very well. He prayed, Jesus, bleed on me. Bleed all over me and my works. And we hear that, we kind of recoil a little bit because the thought of it is maybe a little disgusting. I know many of us in our places of work are trained how to deal with blood-borne pathogens and we want to do everything we can to avoid getting blood on us in any way. And yet, if you really stop and think about it, that is an absolutely beautiful prayer because it really gets to the heart of the matter. True cleanliness, cleanliness before God comes from only one source, and that is the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus. Every night when I put my head down on my pillow, if I'm being honest, then I have to confess how profoundly in every area of my life I have utterly failed to live the kind of life that God wants me to live. As a husband, Jesus, bleed on me. As a father, Jesus, bleed on me. As a pastor, Jesus, bleed on me. As a friend, as a co-worker, as a citizen, just name it, Jesus, bleed on me. And add your own vocation, your own situation in life here. Yes, Jesus, bleed on me. Cleanse me from every stain of my sin. And you know how he answers that prayer? Again, so profoundly and so simply. Take heart. Your sins are forgiven. So now what do we do? How do we react to this incredible good news? What do we do with the fact that we are forgiven children of God? How do we behave now that God has cleansed our hearts? Do we then take those hearts out and get them all filthy again? Like taking a, a beautiful clean dress shirt out of the dryer, taking it outside, throwing it on the ground, and immediately grinding it into the mud? We don't want to do something like that. 
My friends, in the same way, we don't want to take the hearts that Jesus has cleansed by his precious blood and get them all dirty with the filth of sin again. No. Now, in thanks for God's love, it is our great desire and our joy to serve Jesus with pure hearts. We serve him with pure thoughts instead of lust, with honesty instead of theft, with love instead of hatred, with contentment instead of greed, with goodness instead of malice, with thankfulness instead of envy, with kindness instead of slander, with humility instead of arrogance. In short, my friends, with the Spirit's help, we, we suppress the natural inclinations of our sin-sick hearts and we strive to live the kind of God-pleasing life that He wants us to live. And we do this not to earn salvation from Him, not to earn any blessing from Him, but to thank Him for every blessing that He has given us in Christ our Savior. And my friends, when we fail... And we will fail to serve him with pure lives every moment of every day. Then we come running back again to the flood of Jesus' blood, which we find in his word, in baptism, in his holy supper. We come back there for the cleansing and the strength that we need. And one day, when we have entered glory, the word spoken in Revelation will become true about us. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And then we will live with that Lamb in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, pure and perfect, clean and content forever and ever. So, the kids are gone. The house is clean. And again, though it's weird, that part at least also is kind of nice. My friends, this is infinitely more important. Sin is gone. We are washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's more than just nice. That is everything for us. Thanks be to God. We are clean in Christ. Amen.